What's up? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm an artist and a designer and the founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. And this is the Art Pays Me podcast. I love talking to creative people about their business, their successes, their challenges, and how they make the world a better place with their work. Let's get into it. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today we have Mobley. So I was just recently introduced to Mobley's music and I'm now a big, big fan and uh, thought it would be dope to, to introduce y'all to him if you're not familiar already. So Mobley, what is it that you do? Uh, I, I make music. Um, I, uh, I am a songwriter and a producer and live performer and uh, I make records from my home and uh, then I, I tour them well under normal circumstances I, I tour them on stages around the country and, and around the world dope dope and where are you based right now I, I live in Austin Texas okay did you grow up in Texas I grew up all over the world my um my father was in the military so um I lived uh, in Europe for most of elementary school, early middle school, and then all over the United States. Do you like feel like there is a place that's home? No, not at all. Um, weirdly enough, I I kind of uh, I, I I don't. It, it's hard to imagine ever really feeling like any place is home because I never established that kind of connection to. Uh, to anywhere that I lived. Um, but I mean, Austin is, Austin is about as close as I can imagine getting. So like, this has been super crazy times. How have you been coping through the pandemic and racial reckoning and all of this stuff that's happening? Oh man, it's been a lot. Uh, you know, like for most people, I think it's been, it's been trying in a lot of ways. Um, obviously my industry um, live music is just basically at a standstill. Uh, so that's been difficult and, uh, putting out music during this time has been kind of a weird thing too. Um, but honestly, the, the biggest thing has just been trying to, uh, I think it's a hard time to be a person, um, just being surrounded by so much death and suffering and, having all of these people and, you know, institutions and forces kind of conspiring so hard to get everybody to act like it's not happening, or at least like we can be normal while it's happening. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's, those are weird conditions. I think, um, I think we'd all be better off if we were giving people more time and space and room to, to feel the weight of what's happening right now. Yeah, I hear you. It's, uh, yeah, th- it's like there's different different worlds going on simultaneously. And yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, and it does mess with you because sometimes, sometimes you might feel like, am I, am I tripping? Am I, am, is it? Right. <laughs> right, totally. It's surreal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, with, 
with music, how did you end up getting into music? I mean, you were moving around a lot. So I'm guessing it would have been harder to have like music lessons or anything like that. Yeah. So uh, my first instrument, I started when I was about five. I did have lessons briefly on violin. Um, and then in school, <clears throat> in middle school, I picked up trumpet. Um, but everything else that I play has been, has kind of been self-taught. Um, you know, when you're, when you're always the new kid and, you know, moving in the middle of the school year, you get good at kind of teaching yourself and learning, learning how to adapt to, to new situations and stuff. So that, that has kind of been a big part of my growth and education in the field. But, um, I got started in music in terms of uh, pursuing it as a career when a friend of mine who played drums found out that I played guitar and um, asked me to, to start a band with him. And he was, he was really enthusiastic about it. And that kind of, it was kind of contagious and I got enthusiastic about it. And then I started writing songs and then that enthusiasm became something more like obsession and, um, and then, you know, from that time on, it was basically like, well, I'm going to spend most of my time doing this, whether I can find a way to make a living doing it, or doing it or not. So I should probably try to find a way to make a living doing it. Right. So you said you're also you're involved in production. Like, so you're not just an instrumentalist from like the physical side, like you can actually um, produce records from top yeah. to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a lot of things I do um, in my creative life. So I, I have a background in film. Um, I worked professionally as a web developer and graphic designer as well. So I, um, when it comes to my work, I direct my videos and design the artwork and the merchandise and all that stuff. So I have my fingers in a lot of, in a lot of different areas, but on the production side, um, as was the case with a lot of the other stuff, it was just a matter of, you know, trying to work with other people and not ever really getting the results that I wanted. And, and then just being like, well, you know, I've taught myself other stuff. I can, I can teach myself how to produce. Right. And then at a certain point I got good enough at it that other artists heard my stuff and they're like, Oh, who produced this? And then I'd be like, well, I did. And, and they'd be like, well, do you want to produce for me? And so that kind of led to a whole new, line of work where now I'm right now I'm actually working on three different three different albums and some singles for people so um so yeah production is a big part of what I do that's uh that's actually really cool so like you've you've got like multiple revenue streams um yeah from one more or less yeah do you do you do any freelance design or uh video work as well uh, I don't really do that anymore. Um, the, the, they, those, the, the great thing about those lines of work and especially development, uh, web development, and the reason that I picked it up um, was because I could do it from anywhere. So I, I knew it was something I could do on the road on tour. And so, you know, in the early days um, when I wasn't really making money from music, I would drive all day to the gig, you know, when we were out on the road. We would post up in a Starbucks, turn on, you know, turn on the Wi-Fi on our laptops, and um, I would code for right. several hours, then go 
do the sound check, then come back and code some more, go do the show, go back to the hotel and code <laughs> some more, and then get up and drive. Um, but these days, I'm I mostly so I produce, um, I write for other people, I obviously make money off of my own music, and then the other thing that I do, I've, I've put a lot of um, I've put a lot of my expertise in a lot of different areas into my live show. So um, I have a multimedia live show that has a video, video component and I do the lighting design and uh, sequencing all the stuff, programming everything. And so that's kind of a, an in-demand skill set as well. So something I've done as another revenue stream is build live shows for other artists. So, so I, I mostly try to keep it focused on that musical core skill set because the nice thing about that is, you know, when I'm producing for somebody else, I might try some idea that I haven't had time to try in my own work. And then, you know, if it succeeds or fails, I can kind of take the, take that information and use it in my music. And, you know, then even beyond that, like you learn stuff from every, every person you write with and, and work with and all that. So I've, I've, it's been a real, a real cool education to get to see the process of some processes of so many different artists and then kind of fold that back into my own work. Right. It's more streamlined rather than splitting your skills into a completely different directions and stuff. Right. right. Cool. You know, there's other <laughs> something else that I, I wanted to to jump into that's completely not music related, but um, we're both doodle dads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Recently for me. How long have you had yours? Uh, he'll be five in June. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. you're, yeah, you're a, you're an experienced dad. I'm still, he just turned one like two weeks ago. Uh, okay. Okay. They're, they're the best. Uh. So good. <laughs> so good. I, I didn't even want, so I didn't really want a dog. You know, I've been for the past six, seven years, I've been touring like, you know, 100, 200 nights a year. And so it was just not possible to have a dog. And then when all this came down, my wife has really been wanting a dog. And it was like, well, we probably aren't going to be playing shows for at least a year so we can get to know the dog, figure all that out. And then if we have to, you know, if we have to leave him with friends or figure something out when we go on tour, then we'll figure that out. My, I should say, because it's kind of an interesting business thing as well, my wife um, up until the pandemic was also my tour manager and she mixed my shows live. Uh-huh. Which um, is awesome it's amazing it's way better than being in a band <laughs> um, seriously <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah she wanted a dog and i i didn't have any more i didn't have a justification for not getting one at this point so it's like okay we can get a dog and now i can't even imagine not having him yeah we we hemmed in hard for a long time about you know is the timing right is the timing right and yeah, same. Like, I just I couldn't imagine like like that that furry beast. He's just, yeah. he's my he's my guy. Like, and they're so they're so smart, but also so affectionate. And yeah, it's it's amazing. We we don't deserve them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. Um, actually, we 
uh, unrelated again, we had a little coyote situation the other day. Oh, <laughs> he was no. trying, he wanted to fight the coyote. I was like, nah, man, you're not built for that. You know? <laughs> where, where, where are you, where are you encountering coyotes? Like at your house? It was like, like right outside in my, not quite my backyard, but like, just like a path off, off of my backyard. Wow. Yeah. It was wild. Literally. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, Damn, like I have looked out my window and seen them kind of like far away, but like yeah. t- this was like literally close enough for my dog to fight the coyote. So it was, uh, yeah, it was scary. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the album, Young and Dying in the Occident Supreme. That's a name. That's a serious name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, what is that all about? Um. It's about a bunch of things, but I think um, the best distillation of it is it's it's about this. Um, there's this very common idea that the reason that the West, you know, um, like when people talk about the West, so Western Europe, the United States, um, like Australia gets folded into that as well. But people talk about the West as being having the, the dominance that it does, you know, militarily, economically over the globe. And a lot of people attribute that to kind of a cultural superiority of, you know, people say West, but they usually mean actually just mean white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, my the, I, when I wrote the record, I was uh, on vacation uh, on a very rare vacation um, in Thailand. And it was during, it was when the family separations were really big in the news. And um, it was really something to be in in a part of the world where there's a lot less money to go around. Um, but then to hear people talking about what was going on in the United States and the richest country in the world with all this, you know, direct moral clarity, like, well, this is just wrong. They're mistreating people. They're they're engaging in human rights abuses, because um, it's so hard to get that perspective here, because of all the political entanglements. People don't want to offend people and lose business, or right. and, and advertisers, or this voting block, or whatever. But over there, it was just like, no, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you know that piled on top of just a lifetime of experience with this phenomenon was was what led to to the idea of writing a record that was critiquing this notion that there is some sort of western white superiority that is the reason for 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 this dominance as opposed to you know just cruel violent forces um that have been leveraged on people to to beat them to beat them down and oppress them. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's heavy. (laughs) But like, so I'll talk about the single um, James Crow. So you kind of like, you sucked me in. You got, like you got me because it's like a bop. It's just, it's pretty like pretty upbeat. And I'm singing along, singing along. I'm like, yo, James Crow. Who? And then finally, I'm just like, who is James Crow? Like, I'm not figuring it out. And then <laughs> I was like, he's not talking about Jim Crow. Is, is, it, is, that, is that what it is? And, and then, like, so I just, I hit my Googles and I was like, oh, shit. 
shit, you got me. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's great yeah. to hear. That's exactly what I was hoping for. That's exactly what I was going for. Okay, okay, yeah. So for my like Canadian and and otherwise listeners, like this, uh, <laughs> this is referring to Jim Crow laws in the, in the states, right? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, Jim Crow. So the original Jim Crow was actually uh, like a, a blackface minstrel character um, that you know. So you would have white people dress up in blackface, white men dress up in blackface, and mock and imitate black people. And and one of the standard characters of that was this character called Jim Crow. And then after um, after Reconstruction. Um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s in the United States, um, all of these extremely racist, um, like segregation laws, employment laws were set up to basically trap black people in the South, keep them from leaving, but then also keep them in a, in a subservient position. Um, and so, you know, the, the classic examples that people refer to obviously are like water fountains and, public bathrooms and the bus and all that. But, but obviously it was more thoroughgoing than that. Like you couldn't live outside of certain neighborhoods. You had to, um, you had to have proof of employment or you could just be picked up off the street and sent to a prison labor camp. So it was, it was an extremely violent institution. And the idea of James Crow was that, you know, these same, the, it's not like we ever got rid of it. We, we never, mm. we never killed the thing. All we did is we put it in new clothes. We gave it a, a fancier name. Um, but, but ultimately, like when you look at the prison system and when you look at mass incarceration, when you look at the justice system, when you look at healthcare, employment, education, um, life expectancy, any particular like life outcome that you can look at, it's, it's just objectively true that, Black people are not getting an equitable, an equitable share um, of what this country has to offer to people, and that's precisely because we haven't we haven't killed this system. So, the idea was to kind of address address that system as a person, um, but then, like you said, to put it in inside of this catchy, appealing song so that I could get people singing along with it before they really realize what they were saying, because that is what, that is what the system does to you as well. Like you, you're playing along with it for years. For me, it was, you know, damn near 20 years. And then I'm an adult and I'm reading things I've never read before. And like having to deal with things that I hadn't, didn't have to deal with as a child and seeing the world through kind of a new light. And it's like, Oh, I've just been singing this, this terrible song my entire life. And, and now I see all the ways in which, you know, I was brainwashed and duped into this. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it was meant to be a song, but also kind of a social experiment as well. Right. So, and in the, the video for it and the video for nobody's favorite before that is nobody's favorite sort of along those same lines since it continues into that. It's like a, yeah, so nobody's favorite in particular was was really inspired by Trump. Um, mm-hmm. um, the whole the whole record is really addressed to powerful people who are responsible for holding other people down. But with with nobody's favorite, um, I was just just thinking about like how narcissistic he is, but but also how 
it really seems like right under the so surface, there's a whole lot of self-loathing. Self-loathing. <laughs> yes. And so while I was thinking about that, I just had the I, I had the thought like, what what must it be like to be convinced that you're nobody's favorite person? Like, <laughs> there are a lot of people who may not like me, but I know that there is at least one person who I'm their favorite person. And and so like then that like that got me going down this whole trail where I was like trying to in inhabit that mind space and write from that perspective. So like in the course, when I sing you're nobody's favorite, I'm actually like embodying that voice and singing it to myself. Like it's the internal monologue of this powerful, you know, egomaniacal, but but really broken person who is just so desperate for acceptance and love but is so fucked up that they don't know how to they don't know how to give it to other people in order mm. to get back you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. got you yeah that that's not it, it makes so much sense now because i was wondering like when you, you they said no one's nobody's um favorite one i was like he's, he's being very generic with it and it's like uh that makes so much sense when you say that like yeah you could tell like nobody seems to genuinely like that dude like <laughs> right. even his family doesn't seem to like him right right people there are people who think he's useful and then there are people yeah. who who are afraid of him maybe but yeah. like it, it doesn't really feel like there are people who just love him you know right yeah yeah and it's like deep down, he knows it. You could tell, right. like, he doesn't right. like himself. Right, totally. Cool, cool. You directed these these videos too, right? Yeah, that's right. Cool. Man, like, you could just have a whole production, production house, like. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, like. This album in general is, is would you say it's more instrumental than some of the releases you've had in the past? Um, I do have, you know, I've, I've, try, I've tried with a lot of my releases to, to have at least one instrumental or mostly instrumental track on there. And on this one, I've got, I wrote this poem called um, You Are Not the Hero of This Story. And then I asked a friend of mine who's a Mexican immigrant to, to read it. Um, because it, it was inspired by a lot of the mistreatment that the the the, um, the prior administration was was um, inflicting on people down at the southern border. So it starts it starts with that kind of meditative track, um, and then it goes into this like instrumental suite that I kind of wanted to do an overture. So the the lead line, the lead melodic line in that piece, like plays a snippet of the melody of every song that you're about to hear to kind of mm. introduce you to the, to the, to the musical themes. But um, I guess, I guess I would say it is, you know, I, I try, I always try to, to, to write kind of intricate arrangements just because it's, it's fun for me. But on my previous record, Fresh Lies, I was really going for a more streamlined pop sound. And so I, I definitely, kind of simplify things a little bit on the, the last record, but on this one, um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of room in the arrangements to, uh, to, to throw in a, a ton of instruments and, and a ton of parts and, and really have these um, 
kind of Baroque interlocking pieces. So, so yeah, I think, um, it may not be my most instrumental ever, ever, but it's certainly more so than I've been in a while. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, and you just recently, well, not as recent now, but you more or less recently signed to Last Gang Entertainment. Yeah, yeah. So as someone who you you have a lot of skill sets, and I, from my understanding, um, sometimes we are assigned to someone like maybe they want to take more control away from you in terms of like even the, the visuals are yeah. they they're cool with you just letting you do your thing they're very 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 cool about all of that um that's you know that's something that you just have to be really careful in particular about we had a lot of conversations with labels before uh for years in fact before I signed with anybody and, and in every case it was just like, uh, something just doesn't feel quite right. I don't exactly trust that this is going to turn out the way I want it to. So, um, you know, we really, we really try to do our due diligence and, and make sure we knew who we were getting into business with. And honestly, they, they, if anything, like I, I have asked them for input more than they've, you know, tried to, tried to influence anything that that is going on i think i think in their mind they signed me because of what they saw and and mm. they trust that i know what i'm doing and and they kind of leave me to my own devices for the most part um gotcha. so yeah it's been it's been really i i've heard i've definitely known people who have had really bad experiences with labels and so i know that's a real thing but this is has not been that so i'm grateful for that right you you ever find in in your experience that labels don't necessarily know what to do with you? That has definitely been a problem for us in the past. You know, like something you learn, especially if you are if you're a black person making music outside of genres that are typically thought of as black genres per se. Yeah. Um, there is a really there there are a lot of people out there who are desperate to try to put you into the box that they think you belong in yes and um and so yeah it's been my whole career it's been a it's been a a, a we've had to be so diligent and really fight to make sure that i was marketed the right way put on the right kinds of bills covered in the right way um and you know to this day, like there's still stuff still happens where it's just like, this is bull. Like, I, I know that this is happening because I'm black. Like, uh, but um, I, I, th I think it would probably be kind of weird no matter what. Like, I definitely make music that's kind of all over the map. Um, and that that's just as an artist. And then even more so in terms of my, my songwriting for other people and as a producer. But but the fact is that like in this country, white artists are given a lot of a lot of leash, so to speak, to do that. And they're thought of yeah. as like, oh, oh that he's so experimental. Oh, it's so cool. Um, you know, but if but if uh, if there's a hint of R&B influence or hip hop influence for a black rock artist or alternative artist or whatever, all of a sudden he's a rapper or she's a rapper. Or she's an R&B singer. Um, yeah because that's not experimental. That's not adventurous music. They're just making black music. 
Right. You know? So. Yeah, like, and it, it, it's frustrating as a listener when when I see them do that. Yeah, I I believe it. Like I, the thing I always say, like when we have when we have these conversations with people and people don't understand it, it's like, look, imagine if I ran a restaurant. In my, like, I know that I'm making hamburgers, but you're telling everybody that I make donuts. Like, <laughs> they show up with, first of all, the people who want hamburgers are never going to come to my store because you told them I have donuts. And the people who want donuts are going to show up and they're going to be disappointed. And so yeah. it's a lose-lose for me. Like, I need you to not do that. Yeah. 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 And But you know what? I mean, I'm maybe I'm being a little too optimistic, but... I do feel like there has been somewhat of a tide shift in that where we're starting to see black people not as a monolith as much. Yeah. And, and, you know, black expression can live in a lot of different ways than it could in the past. I think you're right. Yeah. I totally think you're right. I think, you know, um, the kind of, the fact that the, the means that you need to like a, 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 a 17 year old black kid, high school student, you know, it's possible now for them to, to make something that without the help of any major corporation, without any kind of backing, without funding reaches millions and millions of people. And so as a result, I think people are kind of coming to see the diversity that has always been there in us. Like we've always known, um, you know, that, that we, 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 we like all kinds of things. We hate all kinds of things. We have all kinds of opinions, but um, I think, I think it's harder for the rest of the world to ignore it in the current, in the current um, environment. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what do you think is probably the biggest challenge just being a musician in general these days? I think the biggest challenge is we are currently kind of in this um, in this weird like middle period where, you know, you had the late 90s through like the early to mid 2000s, you had the CD boom where like there was all this money being made um, on on music sales and obviously independent music musicians weren't weren't getting as much of that as they probably should have, but, but it was still, you know, more possible to earn a living, just creating music. Mm. And now we're in a, in a state where honestly, like, I don't think it's a money problem. Like Spotify just paid Joe Rogan a hundred million dollars. Like they have money. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a distribution redistribution problem and equity problem where especially for 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 younger musicians people who are teenagers are in their very early 20s right now who don't have any experience in a world where people paid for music um people are just so convinced that it's not worth anything that you know that 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 kind of that ripples across the whole supply chain. Like if the artist isn't getting paid, then the musicians that they hire aren't getting paid. The producers aren't getting paid. You know, everybody who is part of the the process of making music um, is having to, to shrink. And um, I, I know that music is important to humanity and I know that recorded music in particular is important to people, 
but we, I think because we didn't really, we weren't really careful and thoughtful about how we moved into this new phase. Um, it's not clear which way it's going to go. Like it's not clear whether in 10 years, 15 years, it's going to be impossible to make music without, without basically being an employee of Amazon or, or Spotify. Like they're very much building on the Uber model. And mm -hmm. you see what that, that is doing to the industry that that kind of came into. So um, I think the hardest part is just like the, the labor situation for people who are, who are making, who are interested in making a living, making music is, is just a really hard one. And that's, that's really come, that's really in sharp relief right now, because for a lot of us, the thing we depended on was live shows and now that's gone. And so it's just like, oh, we really, it really is, you know, the money, the money that's being made in streaming, the money that's being made, um, selling digital music is all going into the hands of a pretty small group of people. Right. Right. It's, it sucks in a way. Like I, I, I feel that way. Um, when it comes to the visual arts in some ways too, it's maybe not as obvious sometimes, but just like this race to the bottom where everyone is in order to put the work out, you have to collaborate for free and, and, right. and it's, it's cool. It's fun. It's creative and all of that, but it's not really sustainable for 10 years or, you know, for the long run. So I, I, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. No, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say like having, having friends who are visual artists, but also just, you know, being another artist and observing, it seems like for instance, Instagram frustrates me as a musician, but I can't imagine if I were a photographer or a visual artist and Basically, there's this algorithm asking me to give give away my work every day for free, all the time, free. right? <laughs> just, just for clicks, and the clicks don't make me money. The clicks make them money. You know, that's yeah. It's it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more like feudalism than I think people would be comfortable admitting. Oh, it definitely is. Like I I was talking about this the other day, and I um i feel the pressure almost to make new product just because i feel like it'll generate more interest and more clicks and and uh i still haven't sold out my old product so it's it's this weird continual cycle of let me put just create some throwaway art and i don't necessarily feel like i want to create that way my i, I want to work at a slower pace than, right. than the algorithm wants me to right it was there was a real controversial um, there's real controversy because Daniel Eck, who's the founder of Spotify, was basically like, I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit un ungenerously, but this is the thrust of what he was saying. He was basically like, well, if you want to be a musician who who only makes an album every three or four years, then you're not going to be able to make a living making music. And it's like, who the hell are you? Right. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like you we made you a billionaire. Music yeah. musicians made you a billionaire. All you did is wrote a program. Like, who are you to say? Who are you to say the pace at which art has to be created and that people who don't create it at the arbitrary pace that makes you richer don't deserve to make a living? Like, is that, that how we want to run a society? Mm. Yeah. And, and apparently so. And it's, and like you said, with the younger artists, it just sucks because for them, 
maybe they don't have bills to pay as much or something. I don't know, but it's it's all about just sharing and and uh, they're they're okay with just getting a million followers or and, or whatever the case may be or a bunch of likes. But the rest of us right. are like, I can't live off of likes. <laughs> right. Well, the problem the problem with it is like it's this capitalist thing, you know, where it's like instead of allocating resources according to people's needs and according to what they want to do like i think about this all the time what i want to do is is make music mm -hmm. but but what i actually do for a living is sell t-shirts yeah right and, <laughs> and that's a capitalism problem you know yeah. what i mean like you know, it, and, and that's, it's okay for me because I have the skill set. I have the interest in going out and playing live and all that. But what if I, what if I had, what if I was agoraphobic? What if I had social anxiety? What if I had some sort of disorder where I couldn't leave my house, but I was a genius at music? Like, mm -hmm. why is, why is there not room for the people who just want to do the thing that they want to do as opposed to all these other things? like being great at social media, being an influencer, selling t-shirts, like getting out and playing live shows. These are all different things that have nothing to do with the art form that you're supposed to be, you know, that's supposed to be your core competency. And Facts. like, we have to, we really have to ask ourselves as a society, are we okay with that? Because like you're saying, it's going to impact the art. You're going to end up with art that is like, what kind of art do I, that I can make is going to, get my my post the most likes we have this conversation all the time like in in-house in our team where it's like okay so we made the piece because i try not to think about this stuff when i'm making my art but i'm human you know it influences me of course yeah so like i'll make something and like we're, we're gonna put up a trailer for for the film that i made in a couple days and we're like well we know this isn't gonna do as well on instagram because this kind of post never does as well for us but it's true to what i'm my actual vision for the art is and mm. so like the people who click it will be the ones who actually got it and like who are connecting with me on the level that I want to connect to them on. So it's like, all right, we're just going to do it. But, but to even have to have that negotiation in your head where like in on behalf of fucking Spotify or excuse me, uh, Instagram, Mark Zuckerberg, like I'm making this calculation in my head, like is, is Mark Zuckerberg's algorithm going to be unhappy <laughs> with me because I put out this piece of art in this way. That's just dystopian. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You just want to put the art out and, and, and let it be received. Right. Uh, oh, man. It's yeah. And but I <laughs> I don't it, it just it it makes me not want to create sometimes. But again, like you said, like when you're making the work, you can't you can't go down that that path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You definitely cannot because it's easy. It's really like when I'm, I'm sure you're the same way too, where if I'm having a bad day or, and like having to deal with that stuff and then it's just like, man, I just don't, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Like I hate all this, but then you have the good days where it's just like, I just got to spend eight hours and it was just, you know, Nirvana. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we, we talked about a lot of like <laughs> sad stuff just now. <laughs> um, what's a, like a positive thing that you would suggest to any like artist trying to make it in, in this industry? Yeah, I, you know, so I'm going to everything 
I'm kind of a like dispositionally sad person. I'm not like, I'm not mopey or anything, but like my, that's where my head goes. So, Mm -hmm. so I have like a hopeful thing, but it's also kind of serious. But, um, I think, I think for me, the most important thing that I was able to figure out pretty early on, thankfully was that I needed to have something to say something that I think people, especially in my industry, especially in music, something I think we forget is that it is an expressive medium. Um, The thing that music does is it conveys ideas and emotions. Mm. And so if you don't have anything to say, if you don't have anything that you are trying to convey to your audience, then you're just, you know, you're just a loud person you know what i mean Mm. you're just you're standing up on the stage with the microphone and with the spotlight on you saying love me love me love me i'm so talented and i think you're cheating yourself but you're also cheating the other people who have to be quiet when you're up there doing that and i think given given what a risky business it is given how much it's going to demand of you and how little it's going to give you back. I think you're going to be a lot more fulfilled if you find the things that you're, that are important to you and then use your art to elevate those things, use your art to convey those ideas, because then even if you don't make as much money as you wanted to, even if you don't reach as many people as you wanted to, you know that you were acting in service of something more important than just your own need for validation and approval you know they're they're much cheaper much easier much less psychologically taxing ways to get get approval from people than you know than devoting your whole life to to pursuing an art form um and and i just think it's it's kind of an absurd thing to to spend so much time learning how to communicate with people using this beautiful tool, but then never say anything. Mm. Right. Don't waste it. Right. Cool. So with that said, uh, when can we expect the album to drop officially? Yeah. The record comes out on um, February 19th. Uh, I'll be putting out a, a video that day as well for the song mate. And then the rest of the film um, that goes along with the record will come out a couple weeks after that. And um, I'm also doing a what we're calling a virtual tour where I'm partnering with a bunch of venues around the country uh, to host these ticketed live streams that I'll shoot from a variety of locations in the Austin area. Um, I'm shooting one on the rooftop of a hotel downtown, one down at the Gulf Coast, uh, walking along a beach. Um, one at the Formula One racetrack. So it's going to be a bunch of really cool locations. And then um, all of the proceeds from that are going to support furloughed workers at the venues and also to support um, a, a nonprofit here in Austin called the Dawa Fund, which provides direct aid to people of color who work in healthcare, the arts, and the service industry. Ah, dope, dope. Man, that's, that's, that's really cool, actually. Uh, Thank you. And the so yeah, the, and mate mate is is fire like the whole <laughs> the whole thing slaps. So I'm Thank I'm you. excited about the video. Uh, 
Yeah, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me at mobleywho.com, M-O-B-L-E-Y-W-H-O.com. All righty. So, Mobley, thank you very much for jumping on our page me. Uh, it's, it's, it's been great getting to, to know a bit more about what you do and share what you do with my audience. Thank you so much for having me. This was really, really a pleasure. Cool. Thank you for listening to Art Pays Me. Thank you to Langey Beats for the theme music. You can find more of his music on YouTube. If you got anything out of this, please rate, review, or leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening. You can find out more about Art Pays Me at artpaysme.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. I'm at Art Pays Me on all of those platforms. With that, we're out. Peace.